listening to a podcast from The National. This week, Saudi Arabia witnessed the most aggressive attack on its soil since their intervention in the Yemen civil war three years ago. The Houthis launched seven missiles at Riyadh. Saudi's Ministry of Interior claimed to intercept all of them, but debris from one fell on a resident's house, killing him and injuring two others. This comes as all parties were engaged indirectly in talks that were believed to be considering a political settlement. The war has claimed thousands of lives and displaced millions. Yemen is also witness to the worst cholera outbreak in history, with more than a million cases reported. As the rainy season in the Arab world's poorest country approaches, the World Health Organization is warning that the epidemic that has killed 2,000 people could flare up again. Where does this leave the country and the Arab coalition who is trying to restore order? Has this attack completely dashed any hopes Saudi might have planned for a political resolution to the war? We look to answer these questions on this episode of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Nasal Wesmi. This week, we'll turn our analysis to Yemen as the war enters its fourth year. We spoke to Barat Sheban, a Yemeni political analyst, on what he sees might be the aftermath of the attacks on Saudi. He had this to say on how the missiles might change perceptions on the war. I think the attack comes at a critical moment for the coalition operations in uh, in, uh, in Yemen. Uh, there has been discussions lately about uh, the possibility of a political uh, a political settlement in the uh, in the country. What this attack does is. It, um, it complicates the situation even further, so it makes the possibility of a political set- uh, settlement less, and the possibilities of more escalation on the, on the um, military front uh, more. Um, so uh, I think the coalition will look into uh, possible ways um, to ensure that um, um, the uh, its military um, um, efforts. Uh, are still capable of preventing um, any uh, Houthi movement on the ground, and the possibility of preventing Houthis from uh, trying to retaliate or take over new territory once there is a political settlement uh, on the ground. The political settlement, I mean, we also had the new UN special envoy. He was in Sana'a earlier this week, uh, meeting with the Houthis. There was talk of that. But how does this factor into the Houthis' plan? I mean, why did they choose to do it now? Is this uh, an attempt to boost morale or take the upper hand? Or what is it exactly? For the Houthis, it has always been the case that there are two sections of the Houthi uh, movement, if you would like to say, speaking at the same time. You have a political wing, and this wing are the people who would be meeting the UN envoy. There are the people who they would send for meetings in Kuwait or in uh, in uh, Geneva to attend uh, to attend meetings. But the other wing is the military wing. Um, the stronger wing in the in the Houthi movement is the military wing because it makes the ultimate uh, the ultimate decision. So um, there has been this uh, bilateral uh, uh, approach within uh, the movement for a long time, having um, individuals and political representatives who can speak to uh, UN representatives and at the same time have a strong military wing on the ground, uh, which can uh, uh, retaliate and take further, uh, further, uh, further actions. The military wing, however, d- takes decision unilaterally, so they don't need to consult with their political uh, uh, political representatives, and the inner circle of Abdul Malik Al Houthi, he highly relies on those military advisors 
not political uh, political advisors. So the political advisors then become more like a media spokespersons more than they are actually people who are advising um, the movement um, 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 politically. Um, and I think this is what people uh, sometimes struggle to understand. Why would they escalate in a time, for example, they're meeting the UN, uh, UN envoy? Why, um, when there are discussions in the Security Council level of a political settlement, that's when they need to de-escalate, not 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 uh, not escalate. But this is not um, what the people on the on the military side uh, understand uh, and uh, how how they understand the situation. Well, how do they understand the situation? I mean, the last time they launched missiles at Riyadh in December, there was a huge escalation from the coalition side with with uh, strikes in Sanaa and the Houthis suffering huge casualties. So, I mean, well, how does this factor into their game plan? Uh, for the uh, for the military for the military wing in, in the movement, uh, they want to boost their uh, the morale and uh, and recruit more individuals into uh, into the fighting. Uh, today marks the third anniversary in uh, for the um, when when the um, Arab coalition started its operations against the Houthis. So that's why they mainly decided to take uh, to, to 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 launch this attack. Uh, this attack, uh, this attack uh, yesterday. They want to show to their followers that they are still not tired and they are still cap- capable of firing missiles uh, all the way into into uh, uh, into Riyadh. It's more of a of a, of a way that they're speaking to their uh, base. They're appealing to their base on the on the ground. They're not really now talking to the uh, to the uh, international community. They're more appealing to their fighters and their recruiters. Seven missiles were launched and seven uh, were uh, uh, reported to be intercepted by the Saudi uh, security forces. Are we then able to get more information on where the Houthis get their missiles from? Um, For me as a person who has been following on um, uh, how the Houthis have been uh, arming themselves, uh, they did pass into different different, uh, stages and I think... Um, the time when they were um, they got a boost in in terms of uh, militarization is when um, they aligned themselves with Saleh and he gave them access into um, the military uh, the military stocks uh, the Yemeni military stocks. Uh, but um, by the time uh, the signs of more Iranian intervention is becoming more clear, they, these types of, of missiles, I have no doubt that they were uh, Iranian uh, manufactured. And this type of capability is not a capability that was present or Yemeni, the Yemeni military had in the uh, had in the had in the past. So um, the more we see ballistic missiles, the more we see the footprints of uh, Iran's involvement more into the conflict. And I think this is where more you would say Iranian advisors are advising the um, the the, uh, the movement. And are uh, providing uh, weaponry uh, to the uh, to the uh, to the uh, to the Houthis. What does this say about Saudi Arabia's uh, anti-missile uh, defense system? What does this say about the Patriot system? Are they likely to increase uh, their defense capabilities or invest more in defending their border? Um, I think, uh, uh, I mean, in general, the Saudi Arabia has been uh, has been um, uh, heavily arming itself. Uh, it has uh, purchased a lot of uh, defense systems uh, uh, from from 
from from many dif- uh, different uh, sources, including the U.S. Um, and uh, and I think it will just continue, uh, f- um, uh, you know, approaching uh, um, um, uh, approaching uh, new markets and who can provide uh, a better defense system. But I think on the long run, uh, Saudi Arabia now understands that. Um, uh, they need to uh, resolve the situation inside Yemen if um, if they want to uh, reach a final uh, a final uh, a final uh, solution because eventually you cannot have a militia on your southern border and you expect to be hundred percent safe. It means sooner or later uh, they're going to come and uh, they're going to come and fire at you. Would that solution come in a political uh, agreement, or is it just more military uh, engagement? I think there is a struggle to uh, between the two uh, the two the two approaches. Uh, there are people inside Saudi and also within within factions of the Yemeni of the Yemeni government who uh, think that the Yemen uh, that a political solution is possible. However, whenever these attacks happen, it strengthens the arguments of the other side. Who thinks the only approach is that to have a, um, a a military victory that then can pressure the Houthis into a political uh, a political uh, a political settlement? Right now, I see the political settlement is still far away, and I think there there will be more military uh, more of a military escalation. Also, on the international scale and international perception of this war, uh, the seven missiles were launched into Saudi Arabia indiscriminately. Uh, many people are claiming that they were aimed at civilians to disrupt daily life of Saudi Arabians. Uh, but I'm just wondering, how is this going to factor into the international perception of the war against the Houthis? Well, I mean, I think it it, it definitely strengthens the uh, the Saudi argument, who has been facing a lot of criticism from from many international groups uh, over the ongoing conflict, and especially because the conflict has been going on for uh, for too long. So it does slightly strengthen the Saudi argument that uh, it needs um, uh, it has the right to to uh, protect itself uh, from from the uh, from the uh, from uh, from the Houthis, uh, but it it at the same time it weakens the um, ability of uh, political maneuver uh, within uh, within the uh, within the Yemeni factions. All um, discussions and talks about dialogue and re um, reinstating the process that happened in 2013 when there was a national dialogue dies when there is uh, such a, such a, uh, an escalation. Cholera is a waterborne disease. Historically, it has been its most pervasive during wet seasons. The 2017 outbreak was the worst the world has ever seen. Although a treatable disease, the country's civil war has complicated the process of getting aid to those who need it the most. The World Health Organization has warned that the epidemic could intensify in April and August, the country's rainiest months. Jessica Zarif is a spokesperson at the ICRC. The group has recently announced that it will double down on its humanitarian aid efforts in the country ahead of a perceived threat of another cholera outbreak this year. It's actually very hard to predict the exact number of cholera cases, but what we know is that the rainy season would indeed significantly increase the risk of reemergence of cholera as it is a waterborne disease. At this specific time, 
the cholera outbreak keeps progressing, though at a much slower rate. And if we are to compare with a clear slowdown on the mortality rate, it does remain, though, today, and I think most of your listeners may not know that, one of the worst health crises for preventable disease in modern times. That's actually quite substantial. Is the country more prepared to deal with cholera? Well, the ongoing conflict means that the medical facilities in Yemen and the overall infrastructure have have been severely impacted. As of the latest reports that we have, around 45% only, that's less than half, of health facilities are actually functioning in Yemen. So if you look at your main resources, um, access to health care, access to clean and safe water, access to essential resources, when you don't have these things, the situation of the civilian population is bound to be extremely affected. And this makes it very difficult for them to prepare for the rainy season ahead and the re- strong reemergence of cholera. Based on its experience last year, the ICRC and other active humanitarian organizations on the ground in Yemen have set up a response plan in case of a strong reemergence of cholera, which we are suspecting to arise during the rainy season. And what is the most effective tool to combat in cholera? How does the ICRC conduct its operations? As is the case with most preventable diseases, awareness is usually the most effective tool. I mean, the ICRC during the past year has organized local campaigns in cooperation with the National Society, so the Yemen Red Crescent Society, across the country to raise awareness among people about the right preventive measures to take against cholera. Additionally, we have set up a number of radio spots to make sure that the message is disseminated as widespread as possible. Uh, Last year, the ICRC treated around 86% suspected cholera cases in 19 cholera treatment centers, spread in 12 governorates. Now, that number is about 15% of the total suspected cholera cases. It's a huge number if you look at cholera as a preventable disease today. One of the best ways to combat cholera in such cases is to ensure that health staff and engineers work at supporting local health facilities, improving case management, and making sure that hygiene and sanitation conditions are within the acceptable norm. This year, we also have cases of diphtheria. Uh, Is that likely to increase, or how would that complicate outbreaks in Yemen? Diphtheria is a deadly infectious disease, one thought to have been largely eradicated. The reemergence of such a disease is extremely concerning. It has now joined cholera as a public health issue in Yemen, and there are reports of around 900 suspected cases until today. The ICRC in this regard has conducted a related intervention and is currently carrying out mappings to make sure that um, the best means are identified to help control the epidemic. Are there other diseases or ailments the country suffers from that perhaps don't get the necessary attention? Well, the deteriorating condition of the healthcare sector has led to the emergence of what we consider uh, to be preventable diseases, and that should be, in in normal circumstances, preventable. They would include meningitis, acute flaccid paralysis, and measles. Now, if you take a disease like measles, that usually affects children. But in the case of Yemen, it is increasing at an alarming level, and it is now affecting adults as well. All of this is just another reminder of the incapacity of Yemen's health system to cope with the ever-increasing needs today. I'd like to thank my guests, Barat Sheban and Jessica Zarif, for being on another episode of Beyond the Headlines. I'd also like to thank our producer, Kevin Jeffers. You can find this and all the other national podcasts such as Extra Time and Business Extra on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. 
I've been your host, Nasal Wesmi. Thank you for listening and goodbye.